In John chapter 3, uh, we're going to read about an encounter Jesus had with a Pharisee. And there's an important lesson for us to learn here today. That The sermon is entitled, Jesus and Nicodemus. And we'll begin ready, reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So we'll stop right there. Nicodemus was a devout Jew. He was a member of the covenant people of God, Israel. He was a Pharisee committed to righteous living. He was a leader in the community. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He was a teacher, a man of learning and culture. He represented the best and the noblest in Judaism. He was religious, moral, and upright. He believed Jesus was sent from God. And he was polite and appreciative of the ministry of Jesus. But there was one big problem that Nicodemus had, and Jesus informed him of what that problem was. And the problem was that Nicodemus was dead. He was spiritually dead. Now that had to be <laughs> quite astounding to this man because there he was standing before Jesus, physically breathing, his heart was pumping, physically he was alive, but Jesus informs him in this passage that he is spiritually dead. He needed to be born from above. That's what born again means. It can also be translated born from above. In other words, you can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. And even though this was a man of renown, a great man in the, the Jewish society at that time, Jesus just lays it on the line and tells him something that Nicodemus finds very hard to understand. Now, there's a couple of uh, examples of Jesus telling living people that they're dead. <laughs> Remember the time that a, a man came to Jesus and said, I want to be a follower of yours. I want to be a disciple, but 
Right now, I got an issue back at home. And, uh, you know, my father's not doing well. He's probably going to die within a period of time. And right now, even though I really want to follow you, it's best that I go back home and deal with these issues. And what did Jesus say to this man? Let the dead bury the dead. So he's talking about not physically dead people. He's talking about spiritually dead people. He's trying to inform this man, and that was in Luke 9, verse 59, that if you want to be a follower of mine, there are issues that are more important to you. Other issues regarding people, in some cases, let them take care of it. I'm giving you a priority to be a follower of me, and you're going to learn what that means. It's going to take a full-time job on your part. Remember the parable of the prodigal son. This is Luke 15, verse 24. This man's son went away and turned his life into a heap of garbage, spent his inheritance, and got in all sorts of trouble. And the father diligently prayed for his son to come home, to see the error of his ways, to turn his life around and come home. And, and we know the story. The son did come home after he learned some hard lessons. And what did the, the father say when his son came home? He said, my son was dead but now he is alive again. So you see, he's talking about spiritual death. There's a physical death and there's a spiritual death. So Nicodemus, even though he was a vibrant, living man, he was alive, he was a great man in society, there was something big that was lacking in his life. And that's what Jesus is telling him in this passage here in John chapter 3. You can be a perfectly good Jew, but you can be physically dead. We look at our society today, and you know, you can be a perfectly good Baptist, a perfectly good Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic. You can be religious to the core, but still spiritually dead. Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus, you've got to get new religion. He's telling him, you've got to get a new life. No religion can save you. Judaism couldn't save you. Catholicism can't save you. No religion saves you. What saves you is being born from above. Being born again or being born from above, that is the only thing that can save you. So Nicodemus was a devout Jew who had not been born from above. And he wasn't saved, even though he spent his whole life in Judaism. And it's the same thing for people today. You know, you can get into the wrong frame of mind thinking that, well, you know, I'm a churchgoer. I go to church every Sunday. And you get into the habit, maybe you're serving in church and doing this and doing that. It's not enough. Jesus is talking about a crucial turning point that has to happen in each of our lives Amen. where a new birth has to take place. Amen. And sometimes people can, be, people can be in church for all their lives and that new birth never take, takes place. It never happens. So let's go back here now to John chapter 3 and kind of go through the story a little bit and bring out some points here and go a little bit deeper. So he comes to Jesus, and it was exhibiting a lot of bravery on his part because for the most part, the Pharisees were against Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They weren't followers of him, but this man was. He was a seeker. That's what we call today, a seeker. He wanted to know more. He wanted to investigate. He wanted to find out who, who, what this man Jesus was all about. So after the introduction, verse 3, 
In reply, Jesus declares to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So it's not another physical birth, you know, because there was a way in Judaism of kind of arguing uh, a point. And the way you would argue is you would do away with the first thing that you know the guy's not talking about. So uh, that's what Nicodemus says. He says, surely you're not talking about me entering my mother's womb the second time to be born. And of course, Jesus is not talking about that. So Jesus isn't talking about a second physical birth. To be born again does not mean that you're going to determine on your own part just to be a better person. That's not what being born again is about. It doesn't mean that you decide you want to turn over a new leaf in your life or you want to be the best Christian you can be. This change and this birth doesn't come from below. It doesn't come from us. It comes from above. It comes from God. This new birth is not baptism. Some feel that if they've been baptized, they've been born from above. They've been born again. Well, baptism is only a physical sign or a public dramatization. It's a sacrament of the new birth. In other words, when you're born again, God says, go ahead and be baptized. Because when you're baptized, you're demonstrating what has happened to you. The old person is now in the grave. The new person is going to come up out of the grave. The new person is now going to be born. So being born again doesn't happen just at the moment you're baptized. In most cases, I think it happens before. It happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior, when you repent. And the first time you come to believe and and say, hey, this is what I've got to do. This is for me. The new birth itself is kind of secret and invisible. You know, if you were to ask me and put me on the spot, okay, Pastor John, when exactly were you born again? I don't think I know. I know it happened, but I can't give you a date. And it was funny because when it comes to your physical birth, you didn't know when you were physically born until your parents told you one day (laughs) and you started celebrating your birthday. If it was just up to you, you didn't remember the date of your birth, your physical birth. So somebody had to tell us when it was. Then we started celebrating it every year. So I think it's a similar case with our being born again or being born from above. I don't know if we know exactly the day that it happened. God does, and someday he'll tell us the date of our spiritual birthday when we were born again. The new birth itself is kind of secret and invisible. It's a spiritual birth. It's the emergence of a new person with a new heart. That's what being born again is all about, a new heart. And I don't mean a physical heart. I mean heart as in the seat of your being and your emotions. You know, we talk about, I got a broken heart. That doesn't mean your heart literally broke. It means your emotions are all broken up because of something that happened. So when we're born again, when we're born from above, it's not a physical birth. It's God making you a new person. It's giving you a new heart. So when we're born again, we're still the same basic person with the same face, the same body, the same temperament, the same driver's license. (laughs) But with all that sameness, it's a new person with a new life. 
a new heart, new desires, new aspirations, new friendships, new awareness of spiritual realities. So that's why I said in the prayer, at that point in time, we had blinders on our eyes that God removed. Because we now start to understand some pretty deep spiritual things. How can God be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the same time? Uh, how can the Holy Spirit be sent you know, on the day of Pentecost? And all of a sudden, all these people understand the gospel. That's what it means to be born again. So when we're born again, God doesn't change our personalities. He doesn't change our intelligence. He doesn't change our natural aptitudes. They remain the same. What begins to change is our behavior, our attitudes, our motives. They become more Christ-like gradually, day by day. Being born again doesn't mean, you know, you changed instantly like that. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a new life. Just when you're born physically, you're not an adult. You're just an infant, and you start to grow and develop and mature. Same thing when you're born again. You don't also all of a sudden become a mature Christian. You're a babe who needs the milk of the word, not the meat of the word. But that growth starts, and you develop, and you, you begin to mature and grow. So when you're born again, if you were an extrovert before you were born again, you're still going to be an extrovert afterward, but you will be easier to live with. If you're an introvert, <laughs> you're still going to be an introvert after you're born again, but you'll find it easier to live with yourself. So you're going to, you're going to change as far as your attitude, your outlook. You're still basically the same person, sometimes with the same uh, weaknesses, the same sins you're struggling with, but it's the beginning of a new life. So that's kind of the nature of the new birth or being born from above. Point number one, the nature of being born again, a new heart, a new heart. Now let's talk about the results of being born again or being born from above. Jesus said these are the results. Verse three, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. So that's the first result. You begin to see the kingdom of God when you're born again. God gives you spiritual eyesight to see things to which you were formerly blind. That starts when you're born again. Like I said, you know, when we were young, I remember I used to go to Catholic church and somebody gave me a little tiny New Testament that I used to take with me to church every time I'd go. And you know, the sameness of the Mass, those of you who are Catholics, I'd get bored. I had a friend who'd bring a rosary to church, and he'd kneel there, and he'd <laughs> swing in his rosary like a lasso until the nun came from behind and smacked him on the back of the head. I used to read through my little uh, New Testament, and I'd always turn to the book of Revelation and read these stories about all these beasts and things like that, and I was just fascinated. I had no idea what it meant, but that's what I did. And someday, God opened my eyes to a spiritual understanding. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. Now, this, this is a miracle that God performed in each of our lives, whether you realize it or not. Matthew 13, verse 11, notice what Jesus said here. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven 
have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he who will have an abundance, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. That's a gift that God gives you when you're born again. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Notice verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. He's talking about seeing with understanding, hearing now with understanding, because you're born from above. He says in verse 17, For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you now see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So never take your understanding of God's word as you're understanding it now. Never take that for granted. And for you to have that ability, it's God-given. And it happened when you were born from above. And certainly, Nicodemus was a man who knew the scripture very well, but yet he didn't understand. He couldn't grasp it. So the result of being born again, number one, you can now see the kingdom of God. We see the reality of the reign of God, how the Father reigns through Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. And we share stories of of how God has helped us and how God has taught us and how God has led us. So after the new birth, the Bible becomes a new book to us and Christianity begins to make sense. But that's not all. The second result of being born again or born from above, not only can we now see the kingdom, but as Jesus says in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So not only do we perceive the kingdom or understand about it and kind of get the point of what it is, we enter the kingdom of God when we are born again and born from above. Notice in Luke 17, in verse 20, what Jesus says here. Luke 17, in verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you, or it can be translated, among you. Jesus came representing the kingdom because he's the king of the kingdom. So when he came to this earth, he brought the kingdom with him. It's in him and to all those who become followers of Jesus. The kingdom is in us as well. It's among you. It's in you. The kingdom is present in the person of its king, Jesus. 
And it is a spiritual and internal kingdom, but it is very real in the lives of those who have been born again. So we have changed. We, we kind of now understand this kingdom, and we understand that we are now part of the kingdom. We are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ, so that when he returns in glory, we will inherit what he is going to inherit along with him, because we are his followers. So, you know, earlier in our lives, I don't know what your relationship with God was. You know, I, I remember me and my dealings with God. There were times that I'd be angry with God. There were times that I'd complain a lot to God. I might resent God for butting into my life and, you know, trying, <laughs> trying to tell me I shouldn't be doing the things that I was doing that were wrong. We now welcome him in our lives, don't we? Because we not only see the kingdom, we have entered the kingdom. We are a part of his kingdom. He is our king. So we no longer resent God for butting into our lives. We welcome him. We rejoice in his rule. We submit to his will, and we find freedom in serving him. That's how we've changed. That's what it means to be born again, you see. So that's the results of being born again. We can see the kingdom, and we enter the kingdom. Now, Jesus stressed the necessity of being born again. He said, you must. He said, he didn't say, you know, I've got a suggestion for you. Would you consider, you know, uh, being born again? He says, you must be born again, or you're spiritually dead. He said here in John 3 and uh, verse 7, He said, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. It's a command. You know, we don't all come to Jesus Christ in the same way. We're all unique individuals with a unique upbringing, unique life experiences. We all have a unique personality. We all have a unique genetic makeup that is ours alone. So God calls people in his wisdom, in his time, uh, and we don't know all that goes into God's dealing with us. And we certainly, you know, I don't understand all of God's dealing with me, so I certainly don't understand all of God's dealing with another person. God knows how to lead each of us in just the right way. He's the good shepherd. You know, for some of us, it takes just a gentle word from God to want to make us follow him. And for some of us, it requires a two-by-four across the forehead <laughs> for us to get the point and to wake up and follow him. We're all unique. So don't ever compare your calling to someone else's calling because it's not going to be the same. And I think sometimes Christians do that. They see a Christian come in, maybe a new person come into the church, and right away they're quick to judge you mean to tell me God's calling this guy? <laughs> you know, maybe somebody comes in off a motorcycle with their body full of tattoos and they want to come into church to worship God. And sometimes Christians will judge that and say, I can't believe this guy wants to be a Christian. How, can, how is that possible? Because he doesn't look the way you look. He doesn't maybe act the way you act. He's a totally different person with a totally unique journey that he's had with God. 
You know, the important thing is he's here. He came here to worship just like we do. So don't be quick to judge other people and say, well, you know, this guy's calling doesn't look like what I went through. It's not going to because you're unique. He's unique. You know, maybe a woman comes in here with piercing all over her body and pink hair. Are we going to be quick to judge and say, oh, somebody shouldn't look like that when they come to church? That's what some Christians do. You know what? God calls each of us out of our own personal background to salvation in Jesus Christ. And you don't know what experiences that person has had in their life, that they look like that or that they act like that. But you know what? We're all being called to conform to the, the, the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what God is going to do in each of us. Amen. And we're probably never going to look the same. Amen. Some have you know, black hair, some have white hair, some have no hair. And it doesn't matter to God. The physical appearance doesn't matter. What matters is what's inside. So don't ever compare your calling to someone else's calling, thinking that everybody's got to have the same journey you had. They're not, because they're different people. No two are the same. And we look forward to hearing their stories when they join us, because I'm sure they've got some great stories to tell. And all the praise and honor goes to God. Notice what Jesus said in John 6, verse 53. We're talking about the absolute necessity of this new birth. It's not enough to just to go to the church. You can go to church all your life and never be born again. But Jesus says here in John 6, verse 53, and he uses a, a metaphor here of this eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that, in a sense, is a metaphor for new birth. Because we talked about... Well, let's read it here. John 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And we've talked in previous sermons about how this eating his flesh and drinking his blood means experiencing Jesus. You know, there's a psalm that says, taste and see how good the Lord is. It means enter into a relationship with him. Let that relationship develop. Experience him. Find God as your place of refuge. Let him be the one that you lean on. He's the one you count on for the forgiveness of your sins. So always come to him in a repentant attitude when you mess up. Experience him. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. In a sense, we symbolize that at the communion table. But it means more than communion. And Jesus said, unless you get into that relationship with me and experience me fully, you have no life in you. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. We know how to have physical life. We do have physical life because we're here today and our hearts are beating and we're breathing. You know that you have new life or you know that you're born from above because you're here worshiping your king and standing in awe of his grace and majesty. Amen. And we read scripture and we understand. We see the kingdom of God. We understand that we're part now of the kingdom of God. So that's the necessity of the new birth. I want to, Jesus said, you must. You must be born again. And Nicodemus was taken aback when Jesus said that to him. Because he thought he had done everything necessary. He was a good, believing Jew. The people of God. The people of the covenant. And Jesus said, 
you haven't even begun. Finally, how does the new birth take place? Let's talk about that a little bit. Again, back here in John 3, as we read, Jesus says this in verse 9. Well, Nicodemus asked, Nicodemus asked, how can this be? You're talking about this new birth born from above. What's it all about, Jesus? As far as God's side, it's a mystery to us. We don't know all of God's comings and goings. We don't know why he decides what he decides. We know it's for good in our individual lives. It's for our good purpose. We want his will to be done because he's the perfect parent who knows what's best for us. You know, physical birth involves the initiative of the parents. Whatever the parental situation is, something happened, something was decided, and as a result, you were born. Spiritual birth involves the initiative and the power of God himself. Okay? And Jesus says here in verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, just as the wind is a mystery to us, you can't see it, you can feel the effects of it, you don't know what direction it's going to blow. So the miracle of everyone born of the Spirit is a mystery too. We don't see God's side of it. We, don't, we only see our side. From our side, this is what we have to do. We have to first humble ourselves. We need to repent. We need to believe. We need to put trust in Jesus as our Savior. Amen. That's how we get born again. That's from our side. We don't know all of God's side and what that involves. But, you know, Jesus said in uh, Mark 1, verse 4, it says, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 7, And this was his message. After me, John the Baptist said, will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we start with repentance. That's what John taught to prepare the people for Jesus' first coming. So we have to repent. We hear the gospel and we have to come to the point in our lives where we respond to the gospel. We start to think, you know, this, this seems to make sense to me. But it's humbling because you have to admit that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And there's a lot of people in this world today who will not humble themselves to the point of admitting that they're sinners because they're too busy judging others. They always want to find, and you know, it's comfort it's comfortable for hu human nature to judge others who are worse than you. It's very uncomfortable for human nature to judge yourself and to humble yourself to the point that you realize you're a sinner, you've done a lot of wrong things, you've hurt a lot of people. It's much easier to just judge others. Me bad? Hey, look at that guy. Look at what they're doing. They're worse than me. That's human nature. But we have to come to the point where when we hear this gospel about this Savior that came and died for sins, we have to realize that, hey, I need to be included in that because I'm a sinner. 
So we have to first repent, and that means going before God and apologizing. Say, Lord, I come to realize now what I am, who I am, and uh, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, which I am now sorry for. And I want Jesus, based on this gospel that I've heard, this good news, I want Jesus to be my savior. I know he came to, to pay the price for the sins of the world, but I want his payment to apply to me personally. That's what repentance is all about. And we need to put our trust in Jesus as being our savior, to believe it. Yeah, he died for my sins, he's the son of God, and now I believe that that applies to me. So John the Baptist performed a baptism of repentance and said that Jesus would come to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And it's at that point that the Holy Spirit comes to you and takes his residence in you and your new birth has happened. It's not just when you're baptized, it's when you first believe. It's when you first repent and ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. When we hear the gospel and believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you first repent and believe. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. That's the point, okay? A lot of churches and a lot of religions place that emphasis on baptism. And baptism is good. It, it's, it's commanded because we're dramatizing. What has happened in our lives? You know, the, the death of the old person, the, the birth or the resurrection of the new person. That's a good thing to play out because it drives the point home to you that this is really happening. And it also drives the point home to anybody who's there to witness your baptism. And it reminds us what it's all about. As it says in Ephesians 1 verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So that's how the new birth happens from our perspective. That's what we need to do. And you know what? Nicodemus did that. The whole story isn't told, but later on in the Gospel of John, it mentions that when Jesus was about to be arrested and tried by the Pharisees, there was a man amongst the Pharisees who stood up for Jesus. And that man was Nicodemus. And later on when Jesus was crucified and they were taking him down to, from the cross to bury him, we know that Joseph was there, Joseph of Arimathea. He had the, the tomb uh, available for Jesus, but there was a man there to help him and donate toward it. And the man's name was Nicodemus. So Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus. He was a seeker who responded. And don't forget, we have to first seek God before we can find him. And that's what Nicodemus did. Now back here to John 3 one last time. Because the story goes on here for a moment. And notice what Jesus continues to say. Talking about being born again, the necessity of it, what happens when you do it. John 3, and now in verse 14. At the end of the story, he says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
Now, this goes back to a story in Numbers, uh, back here in the Old Testament, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the Promised Land, but they had to wander in the wilderness for so many years, 40 years actually, and they got themselves into bad attitudes all the time, it seems. And in one case, they were complaining and criticizing and telling Moses in the wilderness, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? We would, we would have been better off. The food was better. You know, the surroundings were better. We're out here in the wilderness, and they're complaining, and they're criticizing Moses, and God does a strange thing. He has a whole bunch of poisonous snakes start attacking the Israelites. Poisonous snakes, the kind of snakes that if they bite you, you're going to die. So what happens in the story is God tells Moses, okay, I'm going to give the people a break. What I want you to do is get some bronze and make a snake. Fashion a snake out of bronze and get a pole, a wooden pole, and put that pole in the ground with the bronze snake on it and tell the people of Israel, if anybody who has been bitten by a snake comes to this pole with the snake on it and looks to that snake, they'll be healed. You think, why in the world would God do that? Why would he go through trouble of having them make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and when the people get bitten by the poisonous snakes, they have to come to this pole, look to the snake, in order for them to be miraculously healed? Well, the reason he did that was it was a type of Jesus Christ. And as the scripture says here, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so that the Israelites can look to it and be saved, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who looks to him, Jesus on the cross, and believes in him may have eternal life. So it's all about Jesus, you see. Amen. Look at the lesson of the Israelites. They were literally saved from a death penalty, bitten by a very poisonous snake. They're going to die. Look to the pole with the snake on it, and you'll be saved. What is the message to us? You're all dead <laughs> spiritually. I'm not talking to you personally, but the world, okay, dead, spiritually dead whether they realize it or not. But God has put someone on a pole, a cross, and it's Jesus Christ. And if you look to him and believe, you'll be saved. You'll no longer be spiritually dead. You'll be born again. You'll be born from above. Repent, believe. That's the message for us. So as I said, Nicodemus was a seeker who believed, and he was saved for that. One final passage I'm going to turn to here in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. In conclusion to the whole matter, Peter says this. He's talking to people who have been born again. So he's talking to you and he's talking to me. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith, that's us, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're waiting for Jesus to return. But in the meantime, we have the confidence that we are born again. We are born from above. We have seen evidence of it. We now see the kingdom of God. We understand it. We are in the kingdom of God already. It's not a future thing. It's a present thing. And God has set aside for each of us individually a reward, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. So you don't have to worry about it rusting or fading away or being affected by inflation. It's there, it's safe, and it's just a matter of time now. So let's continue to look to Jesus Christ because he is the source of all of these good things for us. And let's live our lives in reality of who we are, born-again Christians, not falling back to the old ways and, and the old darkness and death that we came out of, but let's live in the reality of who we are, beloved sons and daughters of God, born from above with a new life given to us by God himself. Praise his name.